welcome. You're listening to the Wine and Whiteboards podcast. We're a team of five badass women who will be your sommeliers to the marketing world. We work and whiteboard together at our nine to five every day in B2B marketing. We're a small, scrappy team that's picked up a few secret hacks along the way, and we want to share our crazy ideas with you. Let's call it an anything but ordinary guide to marketing and design. From Chardonnay to Rosé, we've got your marketing sips and design tips. Now that's worth raising a glass to. So grab your favorite vino and join us. Hello and welcome back to another episode of Wine and Whiteboards. Today we are talking branding. And so when most people hear branding, they immediately go to logos. And while logos are extremely important, branding is also more about how people perceive, feel, and interact with your company. Branding is what sets you guys apart from the competition. It's what makes you unique. And it's essentially your company's story. In today's episode, we're going to outline why branding guides are so important and then dive into what to include in your own. So before we dive in, let's do the sips of the day and talk about what we're drinking. So I can start, Paige. I'm still pregnant. I'm officially an eggplant today at 28 weeks. So I am sipping water. So (laughs) you guys um, probably have a little bit more of interesting things to talk about. Since it's nice again out today, I went with a nice Sauvignon Blanc from my First Leaf subscription. It's just, I feel like it's hard to drink red wine when it's nice out, especially since it's been like so cold. I'm just, I need to go with the, the cold, white, refreshing wines. Sauv Blanc and Rosé is like my absolute favorite summer, like warm weather drink. Well, even though it's nice and warm outside, sometimes you just have to go with what you have in the house. So I have the 19 Crimes Cali Red. I selected it because it had Snoop Dogg on the label. So that's why I chose it. It's actually quite good. Have you tried the Snoop Dogg gin? I haven't. I have, I forget what it's called, but it has a really pretty bottle. And every time I see it at Kroger, I'm really tempted to buy it. I want it. I, I think it's watch... like a, oh, it's called Indigo and the bottle is Indigo. Ooh. It's really Ooh. pretty. I have to say I'm disappointed. My Kroger only sells beer and wine. Like it doesn't have liquor or spirits because of some ordinance. So you have, but for some reason, the CVS that's on the backside of Kroger sells it, which I've never knew that you could buy liquor from CVS, but I now have become a purchaser of liquor from CVS, which kind of makes me feel, I don't know, a little more icky. Like I'm like, oh, I go to the pharmacy to get my liquor on. Something I'm going to have to get used to in Minnesota is the liquor is not included in grocery stores. You have to go in like a separate entrance. So a lot of the times they're conjoined or at least like in the same building, but you have to go outside and then come back in. It's what like a waste Canada, of time. right? Like they have the LCBOs and then the other ones and the beer store, like literally a store called the beer store. Yeah. So you get beer and it comes out in like a conveyor belt, which I think is the funniest thing to me. Like they keep it all mostly in the back and then they like send it forward. I was actually just going to ask if it's called something different because isn't like party store, um, like, is that like a Northern thing or is that a Michigan thing? Definitely Michigan thing. I didn't know what it was before I moved here. Cause they're like, it's a party store. I'm like, so I go and get balloons and it, she's like, no, you get liquor. Cause us Michiganders don't know how to have any parties without alcohol. Apparently. That's why I, you can buy it anywhere. Party store, grocery store, CVS. <laughs> like, we want it accessible everywhere. The pandemic has been well. 
I didn't realize how like accessible liquor is in Michigan compared to other places. Like, I guess I just thought it was normal that you could go to like CBS or Rite Aid or somewhere and buy liquor. Hey, it's Katie. I'm drinking the Pinot Noir from Bonobo. I am part of the Bonobo wine club still. My husband got me a year membership for Christmas, so it's the gift that keeps on giving. And I have to say it's pretty good. I'm really enjoying it. Although I am in um, the same boat as Charlotte, where I'm not sure that red is super fitting today since it's nice for, I don't know, once in our life in Michigan. But gotta have, gotta have what you have. This is Sarah, and I'm drinking a wine that I don't know how to say the name of, so I'm going to butcher it. What do you guys think? Cuvazin? Suvazin? C-U-V-A-I-S-O-N? No? Where's it from? It's from Napa Valley. Los Caneros? Canaros? Also <laughs> butchered. Please don't. <laughs> Please don't judge me. I didn't take Spanish or whatever this is. I've been there. Carnero. Canero. Mm-hmm. Thank you. It was from my Cellar 313 wine club that I picked up last week. So that's where that came from. I also was excited because it says that they were established in 1969 and they're solar powered and certified sustainable. So this would have been a good wine to drink for our eco-friendly marketing episode, but I didn't have it yet. So just a week or two late. Technically, this episode's going out before that one. So ah, it's all good. Right on time. <laughs> a little preview of an episode to come. Everybody said their wines? Good. Thanks. So. All right. So now we're ready to dive back in. So like we said, branding is definitely more than logos and color palettes. And it's more than when we talk about in a lot of our other episodes, how people say marketing and design make things look pretty. It's so much more than that. So your branding guide really outlines what's unique about your company in terms of your look and your voice and your personality. So marketers and designers use branding guides on a daily basis when we're building collateral, working on social media posts, building emails, creating and producing webinars. I mean, the list really goes on. It can be used for just about anything. And here are four reasons why you really need to invest in building and using your own guide. Our first reason is branding guides create consistency because everybody knows somebody who likes to go completely off the wall and create their own stuff and use their own color schemes and thinks they're a designer. But no, really for in all, what's the word there? All jokes aside, <laughs> consistency is key. A branding guide creates consistency for both written and visual content. And it's important to stay unchanging and keep it true to your brand. Exactly. So on the written side, you have to think about how do you want to communicate to your audience? Is it more of a casual or formal instance? Do you want to be more salesy or educational? And then what's your branding personality? And then from my aspect as the designer, I always think, how does your branding want to be looked at? For the wine and whiteboards, because it's wine, we wanted to go with that as our color scheme. So we did like maroons, pinks, navies, and we stay true to that on all of our social media posts, all of our collateral Because honestly, if we were going to post a lime green square for some reason, you guys would not associate that with our brand. It would be like, oh, this doesn't make sense. I don't recognize that. I have no idea who these people are because we only use those colors. So that's just one example. 
Can I just say that I love R1 and whiteboards branding? It's my favorite. Like I love like the pinks and the maroons and the reds with like the pop of navy. Like, oh, I love it so much. I think that was probably our favorite part of building the branding. So the number two reason why branding guides are important is because it helps people know what to do and most importantly, not do. People love to not follow the rules. So you need to think of your branding guide as your actual rule book. It gives them a guide of what to do and your brand will have better success if people can follow it and live by that rule book. So you'd be surprised how many people make huge branding mistakes. I think one of my favorite things is when people put a logo in something like PowerPoint and then stretch it because the logo is not the correct size that they want. And unfortunately, when they obviously you can make a logo smaller and bigger, but if they don't keep the proportions correct, then you can end up making it look really like stretched out and elongated or it becomes like blurry or it just it doesn't have that crispness that your logo needs to have. Or people pick really bad color combinations or change your logo to a color that it should never be. Like I think I've seen our logo black before for the company we work for and I'm pretty sure it's in our branding guidelines that we never do a black logo. Like that's just a no-go. Paige would have your head (laughs) if you tried it. I think one of the most helpful things that Paige has ever done was create like that master PowerPoint template because I feel like when people make PowerPoints, everyone takes it as an opportunity to be an artiste and get creative. And I sometimes people don't even know they're doing anything wrong. Like a lot of times I think it's very unintentional and they're just like, oh, that looks cool. And I mean, I think most of us would notice if a logo is stretched, but Sometimes people don't even really realize what they did. Yeah, so people outside of marketing and design really do need your help. And that's why these branding guides come into play and why they're so important. Because honestly, you shouldn't expect IT to know what shade of pink they need to use. And they definitely are not like me and memorize all the hex codes and can just rattle them off. So at least have something for them to reference. Have that color palette as part of your guide. Have an entire page dedicated to it. We'll dive into more specifics on that later, but it's something for them to reference so they know what not to do. And then if they do, then you can slap them on the wrist. But if you don't provide them anything, they're kind of running blind and it's not really fair to them either. I think it's important to say that even when you do provide a guide, it's still easy for people to make mistakes because if you don't have that creative or artist eye, it's hard to see things as balanced or like where you should use a a certain color or where certain elements might be acceptable or unacceptable. So know that even if you do provide a guide and start walking through these things and provide these, you know, these guidelines, you will still have to support in some capacity. Like these are not a fix all, but they, they can help. Yeah, there is a reason why I went to school for four years (laughs) to learn about branding and design and all that. So if you can help it, at least have your marketing or design team involved or have a final look at these types of things because they will be able to help you. So number three is branding makes your company recognizable. So for this one, I wanted to pull some examples so that it's easier and top of mind. So I was saying, think about McDonald's arches or the swoosh from Nike you know at a glance what company branding is because of a simple yet very unique design. 
And some brands are actually just known for their color alone. If you think about the Netflix logo, if it was blue instead of red, you probably wouldn't recognize it. Uh, and I pulled a stat that a signature color can increase your brand recognition by 80%. I thought that was kind of insane. So you never think that it makes a big difference, but it really does. That's really high. Yeah. Like that surprises me a little bit. I was going to quiz you guys and ha like say a brand and see if you know the color, but I don't know if that would backfire on me. <laughs> <laughs> Depends. We can always cut out the ones we don't get right. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> yeah, let's give it a go. I'm going to Google the top brands. Top. When you had said blue and then you were talking about Netflix, I was so confused. I'm like, when did I miss that Netflix had a blue color scheme with it? And that just goes to point out that clearly, no, it's always red. And yes, I would be very confused if I saw blue with Netflix. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So let's do a quiz time. Coca-Cola. What color? Red. 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 Correct. Ford. Blue. Blue. Disney. Blue. Red. Black. Black, but that one was kind of hard. I think of primary colors when I think of Disney. Like I think of like the red pants of Mickey Mouse with the yellow mm -hmm. dots and like, to your point, Mickey Mouse is like black and white. So the internet is wrong. <laughs> wrong. Let's do a couple more. Ikea. Yellow. Yellow. And blue. But yes, yellow is the main one. Uh, McDonald's. Yellow, yellow and red. red. Mm-hmm. Pinterest. Red. red and let's do one more etsy red orange orange she got Etsy orange yep mm -hmm. am i color i've been spending a lot of time on there for wedding shit guys <laughs> <laughs> I'm just now i have to go to their site because i've always thought it was red <clears throat> orange is a different one though oh, I it is orange a lot are like blue or red or green i feel like so when you have like an orange or a yellow i feel like those are kind of like not off-putting but they're different i almost didn't believe you guys that's how convinced i was that etsy was red <laughs> i was like There's, it's not orange <laughs> like for some reason i've always looked at it and like thought it was red oh it, it is orange it looks orange i'm not colorblind so that's good Paige, I have a question for you. Did you have to learn about any of the like legalities with branding and logos and stuff like that? Yes, it's kind of, it changes all the time. So they recommend if you have a really large company that you're building a brand for to have it go through lawyers just to validate. But there are things that you can get slapped on the wrist for even just having something similar to another one. Most of the time you won't be, I, I guess I shouldn't say caught, but you won't be penalized, but you don't want to copy another brand if you can help it. Like it really is supposed to be you being unique. So let me, let me ask you a question. If you don't know the answer, that's okay. okay. So once upon a time, there was a group of people that used to buy cheap merchandise and then print the Nike swoosh on it. They didn't sell it. They just wore it. Is Still that illegal? illegal? Yeah. Is that like, um, they, like fine? is that because the logo is like copyrighted or trademarked? Yeah. So a printing company cannot print that for them unless they did it themselves personally with like a cry cut or something. No one would know. But yeah, oh. a printing company could not do it. A printing company did do it. Yeah. That's a no, no. I, I don't want to incriminalize anyone, <laughs> but this happened. 
Well, so is that why sometimes printing incriminate <laughs> and criminalize? Is that a word? No, I didn't want to call you out though. <laughs> it's a wine word, a wine word. We have wine words that we make up when we drink wine. So. No judgment. But, so is that why sometimes if, like they would have to pay like a royalty or a fee to print? Like think of like sororities and fraternities. Like if you want to print their logo on things, like you typically, I think, have to pay a fee. I was in a sorority in college and in order to get the letters like printed and sewn on a, even a sweatshirt, I'm pretty sure we paid some like, I don't know, nominal fee, fee to do that, which I always thought was really interesting. But yeah, yeah. don't let you go rogue. Yeah, that's a good example, Sarah. There's also usually like approved provider printers who have the permission of an organization or a company to print materials with their logos on it. So sometimes you have to go through like approved printers too. Mm -hmm. The fourth reason is to share it with your vendors, partnerships, and new hires. So that was kind of a nice little segue. <laughs> So if you have someone who's starting new at your company or you're working with a vendor to have something printed, or you might be collaborating with a partner, the branding guide is going to really help them to understand what's unique and what to follow. I've done this plenty of times with branding collabs for my freelance clients. It's helped a lot. Been like, I don't want to ever offend somebody if I send a design and have done it wrong. So this has been helping a lot with that because if I did that, they'd probably be like, all right, I'm going to find a new designer who respects us and does all, you know, just there's those types of things. People get offended if you mess it up. And then this also helps when designing swag or videos or white papers. Like we work with a lot of outside vendors and they do require those things for printing. They need to know the Pantone color in order to print. They need to know what's allowed for the color scheme and the logo. I can go on. Paige, is there, have you worked, I mean, what's my question? <laughs> my question is like when working with so many different companies and getting so many different guidelines, I'm assuming there's a broad spectrum of like the different types. I'm sorry guys, Olivia's whining in the background. Sounds like a um, baby. She wants carrots. I'm assuming there's a broad spectrum of like the types of branding guidelines that you see, or are they all pretty standard? Like, I feel like most of the ones I've seen include most, like majority of the same types of things, but I'm just curious, like, have you seen like a wide spectrum of what they look like and what they are, what what's included in them? Yeah. So we'll dive into that in a little bit too, about all the things to include, but in general, I've seen about two different versions. You have the marketing and design combined version, which kind of goes into like the messaging, the persona, all of those things that how it's unique outside of design. And then I've also seen just the design ones. And I think that's what we use primarily at our company because we essentially just need, how does the logo look? What are the color schemes? What's the imagery that's approved? Very basic design stuff. That's an interesting point, Paige. I didn't really think about how we don't have we probably don't have our messaging in our own branding guideline, which I feel like we might need to add at some point in time because I know personally from doing press releases and stuff, there's like a, quite a few different boilerplates floating out there. And every time I'm like, is this the most updated one? And if it was in our branding guideline, I could go there and be like, this is it. This is the one we're using. And I did like your point about not offending people. I just noticed it an email that came through today that was a piece of collateral with one of our clients and they asked for an updated image that was like their own actual image for the piece so that I think it felt more like them. 
which I felt like was a new request, something that we hadn't received from clients too much before to update the imagery to actually not be stock imagery, but to be something directly from their website or from their imagery bank. Which kind of goes into my little thought question that I had. Would it almost be a red flag to you if a vendor or a partner that you're going to work with doesn't care that you're like, oh, here's our branding guidelines or here, you know, is what we want. And they're just like, oh, no, no, we got it. We, we pulled your image. I would imagine that if you have a vendor that's like, no, nope, we're good. You should probably not use that vendor and run the other way. Most of the time I run into the opposite thing where it's like, oh, we don't have a branding guide. Can you just pull whatever is from our website? And I'm like. And Paige, correct me if I'm wrong, but it's hard to pull stuff from websites sometimes because those images or like the logos have been created for like a web friendly version, which I think normally means a little bit lower resolution. So they load quicker. So if you go pull things off websites, a lot of times the resolution isn't as high. And if you're trying to do it for something that's getting printed, it's potentially could print fuzzy or blurry. So I think that's the main problem with pulling things off of people's websites. It's not that you don't want to or can't do it. It's obviously not as convenient, but it is like a resolution and creating a I don't know, better piece of collateral problem. Exactly. And like I could go into more detail too, but like colors too are really hard because you're going to have hex colors from a website and they're not going to transition exactly to what they would be for print. And then I would be just guessing with Pantone. So uh, those guides are really helpful if you can build it. So I think let's dive into the top things that we suggest to include when it comes to building your own. The first one is going to be brand messaging. And I think this is really important for marketers to have and to build. We recommend having about like two to three pages dedicated to this in your guide. And we'll walk through what those things should be including. So the first one is persona. So who is your audience and target market? Are you speaking to men, women, both? Where are they located? What does your audience do for their career? What is their age? Those are just a few things maybe to think about when building yours. For example, Wine and Whiteboards, we are primarily women in the U.S. and England, and we kind of target young marketing and design professionals between the ages of 18 to 35. So we took that into account when building our messaging. We tailor the way we speak to people based on that information. And I think you'll always have some outliers. Like that doesn't mean that our content isn't relevant to people outside of like the persona that we just, that Paige just named, but that's who we tailor most of our messaging to. So there's always going to be some outliers and that's okay. Also, let's be honest. That's who we are. We are in the, uh, I'd love to say we're in the 18 to 35. We're in the <laughs> we're more the 28 to 35, 36, whatever range but we're definitely marketing and design professionals. And I think we're trying to provide the resources that we would have found helpful. I think that's a really good point, Sarah. Like it's, even if you are not your target market, like I think it makes it a little bit easier because we kind of are our target market. But if you're not your target market, really taking a, like taking a step back and putting yourself in their shoes and saying like, okay, what do they need? How do they speak? you know, what are their challenges and how do we align best with them? I think that's, it's a really special skill when you can really step back and put yourself in someone else's shoes. 
And since we've been there, that makes it the easiest. Like, have you, has anyone ever tried to write content for like someone in a position that you've never been in? One of my least favorite things to do is to write a letter from like our president's point of view, from our president's voice. There's absolutely like nothing wrong with him at all, but I am, I'm not an executive. I'm not a man. I don't, I don't know what that voice is. Like, I can take a guess, but if someone were to say, like, oh, this doesn't really sound like a, I don't know, 40-something-year-old man, well, because I'm not one. So, unfortunately, it's just not a strength of mine. That's when it's useful to, like, get feedback and reach out to people who do fall within those markets and say, does this resonate? Does this make sense? Are we hitting on the key things here? So don't be afraid to ask your audience if things are resonating and do that research. Because, yeah, like Katie said, how are you going to resonate with a 40-some-year-old man who's a who's an executive when you aren't those things? It's You have to do a little bit more research and you have to put a little bit more effort in. Number two on this is tone of voice. Is your brand bold and playful or moody and modern? Are there specific terms that your audience uses? Is there messaging that matches your brand? The example from Wine and Whiteboards, I would like to say we're bold and playful. We're a little more informal. We try to be as authentic as we can. We are explicit sometimes, but in like a tasteful way. (laughs) And then, I mean, for example, like we use terms like scrappy little bitches and cheers. And we just kind of like tailor our messaging to our audience. So after every episode, we end it with a cheers and we clink our glasses together virtually, of course. I think this one ties into what we were saying about finding the voice and making sure you're speaking to people because your tone has to resonate with your audience. So you can't just, I mean, you can pick whatever type of tone of or tone or voice that you want, but if it doesn't resonate with your audience, then it might be a challenge. Like if you're working with executives and you're being very playful and bold and slightly explicit and somebody like, maybe that's not going to be the best option. So you just have to walk that line and say, okay, how do we maintain true to our brand and who we are and how do we resonate with our audience and what's that happy medium? I think this is what Katie was saying too. Like, It's a lot easier to be the tone of voice when it is your own company and your own messaging and voice. But when you have to write from someone else's perspective because you don't own that company and you're just doing marketing and design for that company, I find it a lot more challenging. That's why one of our changes we made was we created a blog digest and it had a personal note that came from me. That personal note was a lot easier to write because it was my own personal voice. Whereas occasionally when we switch it up and we send it to a different audience, we'll send it from our president or someone else, like Katie said. And it is so hard to write from someone else's perspective and not still have that same like cheers and you know bubbly personality that I think is like core to me and clearly not core to that person. Like I've been called out for like the cheers on things like that when they're like, obviously that is not how they would ever sign an email off. And sometimes you forget about all of that, but the words do matter. So you just have to pay attention to that. That reminded me, Sarah, I was doing social media for our company and then I was like writing some things and I kind of forgot who my audience was for a sec. And I had to go back and edit because I was thinking like, oh, I'm just writing like wine and whiteboards things like I normally do. And it was a little sassy, and I was like, nah, maybe reel that back in. <laughs> like, we're talking finance here. So 
I don't know if I should say like a swear word or like, I don't know. <laughs> I had to kind of- It looks like I need to go check out our Zoom lane now very closely, but also I've enjoyed what you've been posting, so. <laughs> no, I, I definitely caught myself and was like, step back, because this is not the right audience. <laughs> But like we like to have fun with ours, so that's why we like to include those things. But like we said, it doesn't match every company. On one hand, I feel like we wouldn't get in trouble for it. But on the other hand, I feel like some random person would notice and then we'd be like, oops, I don't know how that got through the filter. <laughs> Paige lost her job. So leading into our next one is your story. So this is your why. Do you have a tagline? Do you have a slogan? And identifying a mission statement is truly important. So what are you really trying to accomplish and what are you envisioning? We do have values for wine and whiteboards and things like that. And that's what we, we've talked about it in a previous episode. So an example of that would be like cut the fluff. So that means that we are not your fluffy marketers. We don't enjoy things like stress balls, slapping a logo on things. That doesn't align with us. So creating those values are important. A good example of this is you tend to buy from brands that you share or at least aspire to share their branding values, like Patagonia. I really love their their values and everything that they stand for. They've actually been a huge part of other people following suit. And there was a stat that I pulled of 77% of consumers will actually buy from brands who share similar values to themselves. And that's, that's a pretty big stat too. So think about that. Think about like, do you want to aspire to be eco-friendly? Do you want to have something that's authentic and real? Do you like, just think about certain things that you value yourself and that'll probably resonate with your company that you're building as well. As a part of your story, it's also important to share who your team is and who founded the company. I don't know if, do people typically, do they do this with like photos page or like bios? Do they include all that in branding guidelines normally? Yeah, the larger ones I've seen, they will show an image so that people can resonate like who they're they're listening to. I mean, you guys see ours all the time on our social media and like you kind of, I hope, get to know us a little bit better but they have that and they have their title and maybe a short description. I think that's helpful to know if I'm resonating with somebody because I mean, appearances do kind of matter. So if it's an all male team, I might not think of them the same as if there was a woman in the leadership role or if there's people of different ethnicities, like that stuff does come into factor. I think that's really important too, because that's part of knowing your audience. Like if your audience is primarily women, but you have all men shown on your team, then that's going to be a challenge. And it's going to be something that you need to, like you might have to address at some point and you might get questions on it. And you just have to have, you just have to be prepared to talk to that and know that you might be asked to explain why that is. I think we've shared this before, but we learned at Create and Cultivate, people buy from companies that they can see themselves in or a part of, or they only want to work for companies that they can see themselves in the leadership team or on the board, not just the team members, but they do need to see themselves at more of a leadership or executive level to feel that their opinions and voices or perspectives have been heard. And I mean, DEI, like diversity, equity, and inclusion is huge right now. So I feel like if you're not on the forefront of it, you're behind by a lot. Now we're going to talk logos. So this is obviously what people think of first for branding, but I wanted to dive into the specific elements that go underneath it. So 
your guide should really include at least three different logos. You've got your primary, your secondary, and your submark. So I'll just touch on what they are pretty quick. You can look into them further if you guys have questions, but your primary logo is what you're gonna use a majority of the time. It's gonna have your full name. Sometimes it includes a tagline, 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 can't speak. God, Kelly keeps laughing. She's like, you guys are idiots. Minnesota coming out here now. Uh, yeah, fun. it was definitely Minnesota page coming out. Tagline. 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 So your secondary logo, your tagline is optional. So this is more of maybe a simplified version of your primary. You might rearrange some text and have it stacked versus horizontal layout. And it has to be resized smaller than your primary. And then your submark is usually something that's very small. You can have it scale all the way down to a social media size, a favicon up in your header for your website. It has to be able to be recognizable at a very small scale. So think about that when building it. Generally, it's just an icon, a graphic symbol, that type of thing. Paige, do we have one for wine and whiteboards? I feel like we, didn't we initially create like a little microphone ones, but I don't know if we ever liked the look of the microphones when they were scaled down really tiny or just the way they, they kind of look, didn't these ones kind of look like pills or something yeah. at one point? And we were like, I don't know. And then I think we never revisited it. So we actually use our faces in that circle. So the five of us, that seems to work the best at a small scale. I Would forgot. Would be something that you're searching like in the app store, right? Would it be that image? Yes. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's generally squared, has to be sized to a one-by-one one ratio is the usual. And it's commonly seen on social media and websites, like I said. And this does not usually include any text. If it does, it's just like maybe one or two letters at the most, and then a number if it is applicable. So once you have those, your different versions are gonna be color. So you're gonna want a full color, that could be multiple ones. You can have up to four colors on a logo. And then you're going to also want a two color because when you're printing, you're going to be charged based on the amount of colors you print. So you're going to get hit every single time when you're printing that CMYK. So you want to have it limited for some of them. I think we have, we have that with ours. We have a two color system for wine and whiteboards and the company we work for as well. And then you're going to want a one color. So sometimes people have black. Most of the time you have white as the option if you're on a colored background. I was about to ask a really dumb question because I couldn't remember where the blue was in CMYK. I was like, where's the blue cyan. with cyan? Yeah. Couldn't remember. <laughs> I was like sitting here trying to process it. Doesn't the K stand for black? Like it's cyan, magenta, yellow, and then black. Why is K black? Why is black K? I don't know. Couldn't mean? it be B? Because they didn't use B for blue. I, I don't know, but it's not what they use. It's kind of confusing, right? Like all the, the last like, letter. All the other ones make sense, but that's the one I don't get. Anyways, thoughts for um, the <laughs> So you got cyan, magenta, yellow, and black. The K... I honestly don't know top of mind why it is K. Oh, black ends in a K. Is that a really dumb? Like all the <laughs> well, all the other ones are the first letter though, so that's why it's kind of strange. Right. Because it could have been CMYB. Maybe they just thought that didn't sound cool. Like CMYK has like a <laughs> has like a ring to it. YB sounds like 
Mm. Oh, I remember. It's called key black. Mm. It's a specific type of black because there's different shades of black, so it's called key black. Okay. Lame. Anyone outside of design doesn't need or care to know that. <laughs> We're but. like, because it's the last letter. <laughs> Makes total sense. I like our ideas better. I yes. agree. We're logical. Uh, maybe on that note, diving into really quickly around file formats pages is probably your area of expertise versus versus mine. I won't go into the super nitty gritty. I could do a whole episode on this, but you're going to want different file, file formats because of digital versus print. That's the main reason. So, for example, PNG is one of your highest resolutions. It's used mainly for digital use and it'll have a clear background. Can you tell us what PNG stands for? Isn't it like, Since we're all mine. I thought I knew it, but I just blinked on what it was because I did know at one point, I'll, I'll just be quiet. We it's been so far. long. I know, I'm sorry. <laughs> Is it something with portrait or printable? I'm sorry, I'll, I didn't mean to derail us. <laughs> I like printable. <laughs> it's portable network graphics. Which secretly I'm glad they came up with PNG because who would ever be like, do you got that portable network graphics for me? <laughs> Sorry. Oh my gosh, I'm glad. Sorry, I yeah. hope people are enjoying this. And then you got JPEG. And that is more of a moderate resolution used for both print and digital. And it'll generally have a white or colored background. And then you have EPS. And that is your editable version in Adobe. And that's generally used for like the highest quality printing. A lot of companies will ask for that to have available. So that's probably the simplest version I can say for file formats and what to use them for. If you are a brand designer, I recommend educating your clients on this and when to use certain ones because they're not gonna know, you're gonna just send them entire like zip file of all the different versions and they're gonna have no clue what to use it for. So at least walk them through it. That's probably just my, my tip for that one. <laughs> so for attributes of a logo, there are things of like, what makes your logo unique? We are talking about the Nike swoosh. That's a very recognizable yet simple design. That is essentially what they use on all their things. People know exactly what it is without saying Nike. When you talk about the swoosh, normally like they've gotten to a point where people associate a tagline with it too, even if the tagline isn't there. Like immediately people are like, oh, just do it got it like makes sense and so i feel like they've created a really strong brand association between their imagery and their messaging recently burger king tried to do something special for women's history mm -hmm. month and their like tweet totally backfired it was like where should women be in the kitchen but it was yeah. all about their about their like career development program and how they're investing in women and like that sort of thing and it was just a really bad move. And I personally was like, I feel like they're trying to be Wendy's because Wendy's has like their super sassy social stuff. And it's really funny because they've developed it as part of their brand. And like, so when someone else goes and tries to copy it to Paige's point earlier, it doesn't work. Like if it's not true to you and who you are and who, the brand you've created, it seems unnatural. So like if Wendy's had done that, like I think it probably would have been funny and people probably would have been like, oh yeah, haha, Wendy's like, but I mean, but it also, but I feel like their humor is not offensive and they've found out how to walk that fine line. 
Honestly, that's probably the hardest job to like walk that fine line every single day. You respond to something like, could I get in trouble? Is this like too far? Is this funny? Like I've seen them just respond with like, shut up. And that's- <laughs> <laughs> I was wondering, do you think people get fired from social media jobs on a regular basis or not? Because I feel like it can just blow up so quickly now that and then there's probably nothing they can do. I don't know. It's so weird. I actually so. Along the same line, Sarah, I thought about this recently because I was thinking about the Wendy's thing. And I was like, do they have one person who runs it or do they have to have multiple people who have the same voice and same sense of humor and same like whatever? And I was like, that to me, if they have multiple people behind the scenes doing that, it literally sounds like the same person. So they have really honed in on that like brand voice. They have to think about all the comments that they respond to. There's Mm -hmm. there's a whole team for sure. They're like, when in doubt, just say shut up. (laughs) (laughs) When we make it big, can we please interview the Wendy's social media team? Because I think that would be a great interview. Like, I want to just understand how they do it. I bet you they won't do it, though. It's kind of like Wizard of Oz, like behind the curtain. You know, you don't want to meet meet the team, right? Because then it takes away from the illusion. Yeah, like, think about who Wendy actually is. <laughs> <laughs> a middle-aged, like, 45-year-old man. <laughs> Wendy's hilarious. Okay, so back to logos. You really want to show examples of what to do and what not to do, like we said, because there are things like people put logos on backgrounds that shouldn't be. Like, you don't want to put a red logo on a blue background. It's not going to work. It's going to clash. You're not going to be able to read it. Is it important to have spacing around your logo page? Yeah. Mm -hmm. I always see it in guides, so... (laughs) Generally, it's like if you have a square logo, usually you'd have about the same amount of margin space around it. But if you have a horizontal logo, you're you're probably not going to have the same amount of spacing above versus the sides. That makes sense. In terms of abusing spacing, people could put things too close probably versus too far. I mean, I don't know if you would even have restrictions on how far things need to be. That would be weird. So (laughs) now that I say that out loud, that sounds silly. (laughs) Uh, I'm sorry, I don't mean to take us down one more tangent, but that reminds me of the part in Elf when she's doing the ribbon curls and he's like, I said six inches, Missy. <laughs> it's like, you can't, not too far, not too close. You got to have the Goldilocks of spacing for logos. So just I don't like crowd the damn logo and you'll be good. <laughs> so let's dive into typography quick. So most brands have about two to three different types of typography. You're not going to want the same type of font throughout your entire brand because you're going to want different ones for your headers, your subheaders, and your body copy. And here is why. So you're going to want different weights. When you pick a font family, if it's going over your guys' head, just help me. But generally, you pick a font family. So let's say it's Gotham. And under Gotham, you have different weights. And that would be light, italic, bold, semi-bold, those types of things. So you're going to want a big range when you pick something like that because you don't want to get stuck where you can't bold a font or you can't italicize something that's important for a quote. Those things, I've run into it before where I'm like, oh, shit, I can't really use this font anymore and I have to change it and explain to the company why I can't use it. It's just think about versatility. And as far as when you pick your font, you're going to have a couple different options. Sans serif, serif script, and then display fonts. Sans serif, for those who don't know, is 
you don't have any edges. You don't, what's that thing called? The anchors? I know it sounds basic, but I feel like people don't know. So they yeah. say, Google says, in typography, a serif is a small line or stroke regularly attached to the end of a larger stroke in a letter or symbol with a particular font or family of fonts. So it's like just that extra, extra little, little line. Flare. Little fl there you go. Serifs have flair, and sans serif is like without flair. So do you want flair or no flair? What's the, the um, restaurants who they had to have like flare pins? Oh, yeah. Friday's movie. Yeah. <laughs> so is like, is Century Gothic sans serif, and then is Times New Roman a serif? Yes. Good examples. I get mm -hmm. it. When it comes to body copy, I really suggest going with either a sans serif or serif. I prefer sans serif because it's really easy to be scalable at a very small size. Some, some sizes will be six point font. So you don't want to have any of that, like we said, flair that will confuse you or make you illegible. So think about that when building your typography in the, the branding guide. We're going to just skip ahead and go to color palette. This is probably our favorite part. Like we said, when picking our wine and whiteboards colors, so when it comes to color palette, you're going to have a primary and secondaries. We recommend to have about like two to four of each. And generally your primary will have your main logo colors. So for us, it was light pink and maroon. Our secondary colors, for example, were the navies and the peaches and those ones that were more accent to the primary. You're going to use them on social media, but they're not going to be on every single header. They're not going to be the the focal point. Oh, if you need help building your color palette, I recommend going to Adobe Color. They have a really good source that's free that you can go in and completely customize something, or they have different palettes that people have pre-built for you. So if you just type in like blue, they're gonna, it'll show you different options that are complementary with those colors. The options are pretty endless. So there is obviously a lot to cover when it comes to your branding and to all the different aspects of branding, which it goes far beyond design. It dives into your messaging and your audience and all the different th components. But if you walk away with anything today, we want you to walk away with these few key takeaways and then let us know what you've learned or how you're going to apply something that you heard today. The first key takeaway we want you to walk away with is branding is more than a logo. It's your voice, it's your persona, it's your messaging. It's all of those things rolled up into one. So don't rely just on your logo. Number two, get to know who your audience and your target market is so you can speak to them. Yeah. Number three, consistency is key when it comes to brand marketing. Number four, think about what makes your logo and branding unique and outline that in your guide. Document your branding do's and the don'ts because the don'ts are just as important, if not more important than some of the do's. Number six, make sure your branding matches throughout everything from your color palette, typography, and more. Thanks for joining us for another episode of Wine and Whiteboards. But if you've created your own branding guideline, please let us know what else you would include. What was your favorite tip? Feel free to drop us a comment and let us know. Thanks. Cheers. 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 Thanks for listening to the Wine and Whiteboards podcast. For show notes, links, 
templates, and other resources, visit our Instagram page at Wine and Whitebirds Podcast. And while you're there, follow us to get more hacks and occasional wine-themed humor. If you enjoyed this episode, it would mean the world to us if you would take a minute to leave a review. And don't forget to subscribe so you can continue listening to our marketing tips and design tips. Cheers! Cheers.